2: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, outs, and nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. And Andrew
3: is the one with the deep voice, and Dave is the one with the not deep voice. Today's topic is... Mother Teresa.
2: Who is Mother Teresa? Well, she's a beloved and exalted Catholic nun who ran a system of charitable organizations that reached out to and did work with the poorest of the poor. People who had nowhere else to turn, people who could not afford to go to a hospital in their most dire times, would turn to Mother Teresa, and Mother Teresa only. For her work fostering love and understanding, and helping to heal the poor, Mother Teresa was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Nobel Peace Prize, and even literally canonized as a saint. But what if we told you that in reality, this beloved, near-holy figure's legacy was founded completely in lies? Act 1. Mother Teresa V. Whoopi Goldberg, colon, Dawn of Habits. Altruism is a funny thing. Many Psychology 101 classes will propose the thought exercise to their students. Is there such a thing as altruism, pure, unselfish, completely and actually for the good of another person? Can any act be selfless when carried out by the self? Or are human beings even at their most empathetic and giving, still on one level or another, performing to be observed and given praise and adoration? Can someone be completely free of ulterior motives? Is there such a thing as a just missionary? And yes, I'm sure there are legions of people out there saying, yes, of course, what are you even talking about? But let's not forget that missionaries aren't actually just helping the poor. Most of them come from a long line of spiritual colonizers, bringing their religion, whatever strain was popular this week, to the great unwashed masses. Oh, yeah, and there's some medicine and some doctors, too, or whatever. But we're really here to tell you about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christo, trademark, copyright, patent, pending. Doesn't our God look so much better now that we've got you on antibiotics? Now, of course, this sentiment is slightly disingenuous. There are legions of people who have done good work in apolitical and non-religious affiliated relief organizations. But come on. Don't you think that there's a passing correlation between the Western superpowers sending people all over the world to help and the horrible dark history of communities being conscripted? Maybe there's not, but it sure seems like there's something there. Agnes Gonko Bohakiu, spelled A-N-J-E-Z-G-O-N-X-H-E-B-O-J-A-X-H-I-U, That's actually how it's spelled, was born August 26th, 1910, and lived until September 5th, 1997. She was an Albanian Indian Roman Catholic nun and missionary. She was born in Skopje Kosovo Vyit of the Ottoman Empire, which in modern day is North Macedonia. She died in Calcutta, West Bengal, India, modern day Kolkata, in 1997 at the age of 87 years old. Though she was born on August 26th, 1910, later in life she would say that she was born on the 27th due to the fact that that is the day that she was officially baptized. That's how deeply her convictions were rooted. She chose to reframe her entire existence around the church. Obviously, she changed her name. She made herself believe she was born a full day after she actually was. And her belief in her convictions and her dedication to this calling that she answered was absolute supreme and unquestioning and dogged. In recognition for this dedication, she was credited with helping millions of people, with making the world a better place, and with building on the teachings of the Bible and fully living the way that the New Testament instructs. People fully believed in her work, so much so that she was gifted with a Nobel Peace Prize. With us all
4: together, thank God for this beautiful occasion where we can all together proclaim the joy of spreading peace, the joy of loving one another, and the joy acknowledging that the poorest of the poor are our brothers and sisters. As we have gathered here to thank God for this gift of peace, I have given you all the prayer for peace that St. Francis of Sissi prayed many years ago. And I wonder, he must have felt the need what we feel today.
2: It's interesting how some people have this kind of cult of personality and externalized myth that surround them, despite not being particularly charismatic.
3: Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, she she put this little this little pamphlet with the prayer under with everybody at their seats, and I was gonna say that uh, years later, Oprah went on to perfect this technique.
2: You get a Nobel Peace Prize, and you get a Nobel Peace Prize, and you get a Nobel Peace Prize. I may bring harmony, That
4: where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope,
2: that further Yeah, it, it kind of begs the question of you wonder, you know, when watching all these videos of her, it, it makes you wonder what this person's skill sets are, because all of life is salesmanship, right? All of life is, wait for it, wait for it, <gasps> kayfabe. And like the, the, the woman that we're watching right here, seems completely normal. She seems, you know, like my sister went, went to Catholic school and I'm not going to say that I necessarily knew women like this, but, you know, like I've definitely interacted with quiet nuns that are humble and kind of just like doing their thing like this. And then I've also interacted with nuns that are like fucking monsters, <laughs> you know, where they're really like, they own the space and they dominate the space. And it's interesting that this woman who is the the tip of the roman catholic spear the the arguably the person aside from jesus christ who's conscripted the most people into the catholic church in the last 2000 years isn't particularly magnetic you know she's just kind of a normal seeming person
3: but is that is that not kind of the appeal you know cuz you know the whole the meek shall inherit the earth type thing her 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 meekness and sort of unassuming nature is kind of sells her sainthood and her uncontested purity better than if she than if she was like some charismatic bolsterous person
2: i think that's absolutely true yeah he kept on
4: saying love as i have loved you as i love you now and how do we have to love to love
2: Yes, I think you're absolutely right. But I think that I'm curious about the mechanisms that then surround that person. Because there are lots of people like you're describing that are good people, that are humble, that are accepting and kind. And they don't get turned into globally recognized superstars. You know what I mean? Like there's a machinery that surrounds... This person.
3: I think this is going to be a big part of what we talk about throughout this entire episode, but I think the reason for that is because it wasn't really of her doing. It was more of like she was selected as this figurehead for a bigger thing that was being orchestrated by other people.
2: Beyond this, after her death, the Catholic Church literally sainted her. It's like being knighted in England, but then legions of people who only have a passing familiarity with you have to pray to you at night. Anais started her journey at the age of 18 in 1928, and when she moved to Rathfarnham, Ireland, to become one of the Sisters of Loretto at the Loretto Abbey. She did this to learn English and to learn to become a missionary, her childhood dream. She took her first vows as a nun on May 24, 1931, in Darjeeling. She then taught at St. Teresa's School. She chose a new name then, dedicating herself to the church, which is tradition. She named herself after... Theresa Le Jure, the patron saint of missionaries. This is her being interviewed in 1974 about that decision.
5: When did it all start for you? When did you start to put these words into action? Since 1940,
0: 46, actually doing this close contact with the poorest of the poor. But before that, it was a vocation. The time I was 12 years old. 12. That calling to, be, to belong to Jesus.
5: Now, at that time you were in Skopje in
0: Yugoslavia
5: where you were born. With my own people.
0: Was it difficult to leave your people? It was, that was the sacrifice that Christ asked of us. No? that, uh, Because we were a very happy and very united family. But um, God asked for the sacrifice from my people and from me.
5: Were you a religious family? Had you been brought up to believe, as you do now, that everything was for God?
0: Yes, I think my mother was a very holy uh, woman, and so she imparted that love for God and love for the neighbor very much into all her children's hearts.
5: Now, when you got the calling and when you realized that you had to give up everything, what did you do then? How did you go about it? I mean, 12 was very young.
0: Well, I didn't leave home till I was 18. And uh, then I got in contact with some of our missionaries in India. And through them, I got in contact with the Loreto And then, 46 years ago, I came to Rathfarnham. And uh, from there, uh, I went to India in 1929, and finished my novitiate and vows. And I was with the Loreto for 20 years in India.
5: Can I just go back a little bit to Rathfarnham? Because in Ireland, you yes. know, we are a little bit interested in your time in Rathfarnham. How much do you remember? Of that time?
0: Well I remember yesterday when I went to Farnham after 46 years I saw the places where I had been as a young postulant and I remembered the, the community room and the chapel and the referee. so that brought back all those uh, happenings that were happening at that time.
5: Now when you were there had you that longing did it start there for your vocation as you
0: call it a vocation within a vocation uh, no, it was not at that time. It was twenty years after, when I was in India. When you'd gone back to
2: India. Yes. That's really interesting to me. That it's almost kind of like you spend your life in this system. You you have this um, this not a superhero origin moment where there, but you have a turning point where there's a definitive like, okay, no going back. Let's let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And it makes it again asks it begs it doesn't seem consistent with how people act to me it it seems like what you were insinuating earlier that like something happened when she was in india and either she was conscripted into a program or a situation was offered to her or some external force was like you're doing good work this is a way that you can help even more people are you interested in that and i don't know what that means i don't know if you know the roman catholic church came to her and was just like this is a way that you can help all these people. Um, but it, whatever that turning point is, it happened in when she was in India. Mother Teresa served at the Loretto Convent in Calcutta for almost 20 years, eventually rising to the role of headmistress. It was around this time that she had a realization, a call within a call, as she terms it. 1949 saw her starting the process of working with, quote-unquote, the poorest of the poor.
3: That specific phrase, it's very, it's very interesting to me that that exact phrase is used a lot. Like that's not just like a thing that somebody said offhandedly one time. That's not something that you've written into the script. It's like a, it's like a catchphrase that's been used. It's very interesting to me that, that, that specifically poorest of the poor. And it makes me wonder, like, what was the cutoff? Were people like walking in Mother Teresa's convents and being like, I need help. I need to come into your convent. I need to be, I'm one of the poor. I need help. And they're like, okay. Uh, please fill out this questionnaire. Can I see your W two? Yeah. Are you, are you homeless? Yes. How many waterborne illnesses do you have currently? Uh, three, technically, more like two and a half. I'm kind of recovering from one. Okay. Um, exactly. How many threads of clothing, ca- by the thread, are you wearing? Uh, I don't know. If I had to, if I had to guess, I would say ninety seven. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, uh, we ran the numbers, and you actually are not poor enough. You you don't quite. You it's like it's like the reverse one percenter. Yeah,
2: yeah. You have to be in the bottom one <laughs> yeah. percent. If you're in that bottom two percent, get the fuck out of yeah, here. You can
3: You you have no place in in Mother Teresa's house. But yeah, that, that that's that 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 phrase is interesting to me. That's used so specifically. It's the opposite of of inclusive in like a in like a completely different way. No, it's not. It's not poor people. It's the poorest of the poor. You better be like almost dead, or fuck you, you privileged son of a bitch with your your fucking with your, two with your, shoes. With your two shoes. You have two shoes. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here.
3: I like call within the call. I, I think that's I think that's a cool concept. It's like like it was. It's almost like the Inception where she's like, I was called by God to become a a nun, and then I got I got I went one level deeper. I went I went into the dream within the dream. Yeah, I, I also kind
2: of that stuck out to me when I was researching this stuff. I was like, oh, call within the call. I feel like I've, I feel like I've been, been inflicted with the call within the call. God damn it.
3: Um. Also, like that interview we watched in 1974, where she's like, she's like reflecting on how she had been doing this for almost 50 years. Like that's in, that's insane to me because I mean, obviously. Mother Teresa died in 1997, which is which was a long time ago, but it was still pretty contemporary like we were in like middle school in 1997, so that was like in our lifetimes that was modern times and she you know she died Mother Teresa was
2: born when they were like before people had access to automobiles and she died when everybody was like, "Bucket hats are cool."
3: Yeah, she she died whenever Goldberg was a huge wrestler, and Limp Biscuit was on the scene.
2: She did it all for the call within a call.
3: Yeah, so it's so she feels like a relatively contemporary figure because there's like television interviews with her and stuff. But even like it's like she's like one of those people that seems like they were old forever.
2: She's like Stan Lee. Yeah, where it's just like, were you ever young? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck. Jesus, Stan, did you ever not wear a toupee? What the fuck was going on, man? In 1950, Teresa founded Missionaries of Charity, backed by the Roman Catholic Church, which comprised roughly 4,000 sisters. By 2012, it had become active in 133 countries all over the globe. Their proposed purpose was to help manage homes for people that were dying of HIV, AIDS, leprosy, or tuberculosis. They also ran soup kitchens, dispensaries, mobile clinics, and family counseling programs. Members of the missionaries of charity were asked to take four vows, a vow of chastity, a vow of poverty, a vow of obedience, and to give wholeheartedly free service to the poorest of the poor. So that all sounds great, right? What's the problem? Why are these two guys on the internet dragging this woman who is a literal saint? Well, it's slightly more complicated than that. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts Pod, because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group.
3: That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram, at Deep Cuts Pod. We took it all. We brought
0: them to our land. An endless night, amber hot and icy cold.
2: Act 2, Mother Teresa on a billboard that just says, Big Mama's House for Get Rich and Die Trying. Let's put a fine point on this. Mother Teresa cared for the dying. She didn't try to heal anyone. She spent time with the near death. She said kind words to them, and that's about it. She did not actually administer medical aid. She didn't even help alleviate poverty. She used it as a tool. The living conditions in her convalescent homes were awful. They were constantly referred to as death traps by people in the communities she worked with. Missionaries of Charity received millions in funding donations. Only about 7% of these donations went to the proper places, however. None of the money went to the people. It went to the funders of Missionaries of Charity, which, if you haven't been paying attention, is the Roman Catholic fucking church. An even crueler twist to fate, Mother Teresa didn't believe in painkillers or substantial medical care. She would literally let people suffer. In fact, she thought it was a good thing. She's quoted as telling a cancer patient, pain means Jesus is near you. Suffering is an opportunity to share in the passion of Christ.
3: Which I think are also um, Demi-Borgia lyrics. I mean,
2: if they're not, they should be. She was known to repeatedly say that pain was kisses from
3: Jesus. Which I think are also Dolly Parton lyrics.
2: Well now, kisses from Jesus, bringing me closer Christopher Hitchens, noted atheist, writer, and luminary, who also has some problematic views, but that's another story for another time, made a documentary film about Mother Teresa called Hell's Angel, which outlined many of the issues that we're discussing in this podcast. It was released in 1994. All
6: over this unhappy globe, there are heroic volunteers putting up a selfless battle on behalf of the wretched of the Earth. Why would you call them the wretched, bro? That's not cool. ...to have invisible means of support to be nothing less than a saint what makes teresa of calcutta so divine
0: long before mother teresa's helicopter touched down at about 20 past 11 this morning the crowds were gathering here at knock
7: among all of you who have made this pilgrimage to knock this afternoon we are privileged to have with us as a special guest at this mass a pilgrim who has come from afar, a woman whose worldwide symbol for goodness and holiness.
3: We Not
6: will... many claims made by the Irish clergy are widely or uncritically accepted even in Ireland but the saintliness of an Albanian nun named Agnes Boyacu. ...is a proposition that's accepted by many who are not even believers. Mother Teresa... Also, I love... ...receives extravagant adulation... I love
2: this shot of, of Christopher Hitchings because he looks like a fucking James Bond villain.
8: No one has captured the public imagination like Teresa of Calcutta. I'm not being facetious. And I'm certainly making no comparison when I say that no woman has made such an impact here since Our Lady Herself appeared in 1879.
6: So how did this auction of hyperbole and credulity get started? In that Year of Grace 1969 the scrupulously neutral and objective British Broadcasting Corporation permitted that old fraud and mountebank Malcolm Muggridge to pay a devotional visit to the Calcutta Shrine.
8: When after I met you in London really the only thing I wanted to do is to come and see you in your work here and I've seen it and of course it's a it's a shining light
6: himself arrogant almost to the point of humility Muggeridge became persuaded that he and his team had become the divinely appointed instruments of what he claimed was the first television miracle during uh, something beautiful from
8: God we there was an episode where we um, were taken to uh, a building that Mother Teresa called the House of the Dying. And Peter Schaefer, the director, said, uh, well, we, we, it's very dark in here. Do you think we can get anything? And we had just taken delivery at the BBC of some new film made by Kodak, which we hadn't had time to test before we left. So I said to Peter, well, let's have a go. So we shot it. And when we got back, several weeks later, a month or two later, we're sitting in the in the rushes Theatre at Ealing Studios, and eventually, up came the shots of the House of the Dying, and it was surprising. You could see every detail, and I said, that's amazing, that's extraordinary. And I was going to go on to say, you know, three cheers for Kodak, I didn't get a chance to say that, though, because Malcolm, sitting in the front row, spun round and said, it's divine light, it's Mother Teresa. <coughs>
3: It's so stupid. I love that story because he like debunks himself in in the story because the whole thing starts out with we're using some new Kodak film that just came out. And then we went and did this and surprisingly it did really well in low light. But the reason for that was not because we were using a new brand new film stock that had just been invented and probably was made for doing well in low light. No, there's no other explanation. There's no other, well, he's shit talking that guy.
2: The the director, the the host is saying that and the, that camera guy is being like, "Yeah, the host is fucking stupid. It wasn't a miracle. It was a new new fucking film."
3: I just want to be the the tech, the Kodak technician who's just like really proud. They're just like, "Yeah, we just we did some experimenting and we invented this new film stock that does really well in low lighting." And then they're just like, God did it. Cut to that
2: guy in the in the color correction lab, just sinking into himself yeah. slightly. <laughs> Eventually, Hitchens would go on to refine his thoughts from the film Hell's Angels and pen his seminal essay, The Missionary Position. Which can we just take a second and just talk about how hilarious it is that his very pointed, filled with vitriol essay taking down one of the most hallowed and respected people in the world is a fucking pun yeah uh, <laughs> i fucking love you christopher hitchens aside from the weird shit about you but most of the time aside from your whole thing about like women can't be funny and are genetically predispositioned to not be funny or whatever the fuck that troll position that he has is whenever he's talking about religion man i fucking love this guy <laughs> here's a quote from uh from his essay the missionary position Let's
3: see if i can do this i don't think i can do a posh british accent This returns us to the medieval corruption of the church, which sold indulgences to the rich while preaching hellfire and continence to the poor. Mother Teresa was not a friend of the poor, she was a friend of poverty. She said that suffering was a gift from God. She spent her life opposing the only known cure for poverty, which is the empowerment of women and the emancipation of them from a livestock version of compulsory reproduction.
2: In many ways, the Catholic Church used Teresa as a publicity tool. They held her up, even comparing her to Mother Mary herself. She was used as a living role model. In the process of bestowing sainthood on Mother Teresa, the Vatican called Hitchens to deliver testimony. He actually interviewed Teresa. I'm not actually clear if he had done this of his own volition or if he did it in conjunction with the said sainthood investigation. Details are a little weird on that. He called out her hypocrisy for taking advanced medical treatment for her heart problems, which she
3: would routinely deny her patients. It was by talking to her that I discovered, and she assured me, that she wasn't working to alleviate poverty. She was working to expand the number of Catholics. She said, I'm not a social worker. I don't do this for this reason. I do it for Christ. I do it for the church. I do it for the love. I do it just to feel alive, I do it for the world, I do it from the bottom of a bottle.
2: The main issue that needs to be explained to Americans, though, is that she's doing this in largely Indian areas of the world, which were predominantly Hindu.
3: So at this point in the story, I feel like, at least for me, a lot of things start to come into sharp focus because...
2: No pun intended.
3: Because there's a lot of details of this that, you know, you start to to wonder about. I mean, not in a suspicious way, necessarily, but, you know, you kind of wonder, like you know what why did mother Teresa decide to go to india like what was it about going from her home country to ireland to study and train or whatever to be a nun i'm imagining that scene from karate kid three where hillary swank is like standing up on that post at the beach or whatever
2: i think that's karate kid four the next karate kid i think three isn't there three with daniel i don't
3: know maybe there's two it's been a while since i've watched those hold on Hold on.
2: I thought the next karate kid was the fourth one, but I I It's definitely called
3: the next karate kid. No, you're right. Yeah. Part three is still Daniel. But yeah, you wonder, like, why why did she why did she go to India? And, you know, how does this one woman from this random place in the Ottoman Empire get selected? Like literally, that Roman Catholic priest is like there's never been anyone as great any any woman in the world in the history of the world that's been as great as her since the mother mary like they're they're just saying that this this woman is like nearly as great as like jesus's mother and it's like what like how is how is all this happening like this is insane and it's really when you start to learn this information that those things start to kind of make more sense because you know as Christopher Hitchens, you know, he made this documentary, which, you know, we're going to watch a thing a little later, but it was a little controversial because they felt like he kind of didn't cover it with enough evidence. Later on, you know, he met her and she talked about how she didn't she wasn't doing it to save people. She wasn't doing it to heal people at all. She was doing it to convert people to Catholicism, to recruit more soldiers, to to go to heaven or whatever. And then that makes this all start to make sense because it's like okay, if 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 your goal is to be this like Joan of Arc for the Roman Catholic Church to recruit as many uh, Catholics as possible to get as get like the highest like bounty for converting people to Catholicism before they die as possible, then it makes perfect sense that number one you would want to have centers. to flock in people that are almost gonna die soon to get the most amount of people that are about to die in, in one of the densest populated land regions in the entire earth that are the most predominantly not already Catholic. It's, it's like, it's like prime hunting ground. If you want to convert people to Catholicism before they die, because you have the perfect trifecta of a country that's majorly affected by poverty and a a caste system. So there's a certain percentage of that poverty,
2: which isn't just you're not. It's not just that you're poor. It's that you will be poor for the rest of your life and your family will be poor for the rest of their life and so on and so on and so on. And if Catholicism can offer you an existential way out when you're on your deathbed, that serves them. But that's what's so insidious about this is that it's it's masquerading as this selfless oh i i want to help the poorest of the poor but it's actually robbing millions of people across the globe of their spiritual life right before the end it's 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 a horrible horrible thing i'm not a religious person but i respect all religions and if somebody wants to dedicate their life to that religion as long as it doesn't hurt anybody that's great and i think it's Awful that the Roman Catholic Church and Mother Teresa specifically like industrialized the, the preying upon people from other faiths and attempting to dissuade them from their lifelong convictions one on the one yard line. That's fucking horrible.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, it's like the spiritual version of a pyramid scheme or, or an MLM where like I said, it was
2: like what would what would what would be a good example of a period scheme or MLM? What what would be a what would be an uh, maybe just one? Could you what, what 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 might be one?
3: Well, all I'll say is that one time when I was like 19 years old, I was working at Circuit City and Mother Teresa came into the store and she was like, you look. You look, you look like a smart guy. I, I need to take you to, to a Doubletree hotel in San Diego. Have you ever heard of Mother Teresa's Amway? It's
2: a new offspring, offshoot of, of Amway, but it's everybody just sells habits. Habits are going to be the new fashion accoutrement for, you know, 2006, whenever the fuck this happened.
3: Yeah, so it's one of the largest populations in the world. So, like, just as many bodies as possible that – A large percentage of them are in the deepest depths of poverty, sick, near death, and also likely are not Christian. They are likely Hindu or some other non-Judeo-Christian religion. It's basically like she lived in India because India was like a slaughterhouse for cattle in terms of converting people to Catholicism to rack up points in whatever game that she was playing. She was playing like the most dangerous game with people's souls. And it was the biggest per capita population of game that she could hunt. India was the perfect place for that. And as you said, the idea of luring people in who are about to die, pretending like they're going to help them in some way, kayfabing as come into our centers and our clinics where we'll help you if you're sick and dying and then kind of like not killing them literally, but. Like allowing them to die, allowing the natural process to take effect of they're about to die and just letting them die instead of actually letting them go somewhere else where they can get real medical attention and then like collecting those souls like fucking points in a video game. It's it's
2: it's that bullshit from Batman Begins where he's like, yes, I've derailed the train and yes, there's no way out of this car, but I didn't commit murder because Batman doesn't kill. I just don't have to save you. It's like, no, motherfucker, that's murder. You just murdered him. <laughs> yeah, Mother Teresa is the is the Batman Begins, Christian Bale, definitely not a murderer, murderer of uh,
3: the Catholic Church. But, I mean, yeah, 100%. It's what I'm saying making sense that, like... Yes, yeah, it, it no, was. I, like, it's 100% it's, on, on, yes. It, it's like a video game, and she's become really good at it, where she's like a speedrunner, where she's figured out all these little tricks and glitches to get to the end of the game as fast as possible We're in india where there's there's just a shitload of people that are all just like about to die and none of them are catholic there's not going to be any wasted time bringing a person into our into our clinic and
2: yeah you're not going to have to you're not gonna have to go through the oh fuck he's a presbyterian yeah
3: the whole thing was just this trying to be as efficient as possible with delivering these souls to the Catholic Church. Hitchens, surprisingly, actually got pushback on his film Hell's
2: Angel, which is pretty interesting, as opposed to what would happen today in the cultural discourse.
6: And uh, has presented someone who is a selfless and dedicated and tireless worker for Catholic fundamentalism under the cloak, uh, perhaps thrown over her by us rather than by herself. She, I think, is not a hypocrite about it, Um, but presented anyway as someone who does it purely for... Uh, humanitarian reasons. I just don't understand why you didn't go and l- talk to Mother uh, Teresa and examine the well, work we she was doing. You should perhaps ask Mr Janoshek about his f- well, uh, funding well, arrangements well, here. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's certainly true we would have been very happy okay. to go and I would have loved to go again. Can but I answer that? Everything, actually, everything well. we need to know about Mother Teresa we, we, we were able to put on the, yeah. uh, on the air.
7: Roger, so. I have been on this programme before with you when you've, uh, uh, we've had, for example, Camille Parlier on discussion various other Uh, formats and various other people on Without Walls who essentially present an essay. They have a view, they're invited onto the program, to propound that view and usually we don't fly them anywhere we merely listen to them because it's a program that actually what it's what what it wants what it expects of people is ideas thoughts new ways of looking at the world now that is not a current affairs documentary and if i may say so it seems to me as if you're trying to set this particular without walls up yeah. as a current affairs documentary yeah. which it never was it's, it was a yeah.
6: pamphlet an essay anyway if we'd been to calcutta we wouldn't have been sure of finding her in would we because the whole point about the film was to say this woman travels the world intervening directly in politics on the reactionary side at the invitation of conservative politicians well, and businessmen. So that's, that's you've, you've got to be pretty nippy to catch a Washington <laughs> feet to the well, poor. Is that,
9: is that true? Let's talk about these world travels. And I want to ask you specifically, Catherine, about the, about, uh, the shots, for example, with Maxwell uh, uh, and so on. Why is she meeting these leaders, some of which, to, to some of which Christopher Hitchens and other people will take exception?
5: I would say that Mother Teresa is partly a pragmatist. If there is money available to help the poor, then she will be glad to receive it. But I also feel that you're crediting her with a, a degree of political sophistication that she simply doesn't have. Go
9: Mary Loudon at this point. Was that the program you expected to see, that you thought you were taking part in?
5: No, not entirely.
9: What did you think you were taking part
5: in? I thought it was going to be I thought it was going to be less polemical. Now that's clearly Christopher's style and and fair enough, but um, I felt, I mean, I when I watched it, I thought, oh goodness, you know. I don't feel the same way and of course if you're if you're involved in a program like that by proxy you're seen as feeling exactly the same way as the presenter I, I don't I disagree with Christopher on many things but I also agree with him on some and I think some of the questions he raised were very valid but I personally wouldn't have raised them in that way can I bring
9: in, can I bring in Christina because uh, Valdemar is saying uh, in essence that uh, without walls there's a clear identity it's it's pamphleteering was that a suitable approach this pamphleteering approach to Mother Teresa
1: Any intelligent investigation of any icon, whether it be a spiritual icon or a cultural icon, would be fine. This was not an intelligent investigation. You did not challenge or test your ideas against anybody else's opinion or facts and figures. Indeed, when I had heard first about the program, um, I I had heard that there was going to be a knocking of Mother Teresa as a um, Florence Nightingale who really lacked the health uh, and medical know-how and I expected to see doctors who would speak on the program and um, accuse Mother Teresa of not having um, the right kind of medical facilities available or the medical care not at all the only people you had as witnesses against this very holy woman a woman who you know we all feel incredibly strongly about as you can see from my own anger um, self-righteous indignation is Mm -hmm. um, the only witnesses you had were a cameraman a journalist stroke writer and a writer stroke journalist quite frankly nobody from the religious What's environment nobody from the medical environment because we w- w- were there was seeking. no you
6: say you're disappointed it wasn't about her her role as a doctor or nurse
1: <laughs> no i'm saying which we, never, you're going claimed, to which we never which we never people who, know, which, who are experts excuse me in their i didn't field. ma'am i
6: did not interrupt you once um, which we never said it was. You, sound, you, you now say you're disappointed about a false impression that none of us gave you. I'm sorry for your disappointment. I'm sorry for Mary's disappointment, when it comes to that. I'm sorry for Mother Teresa's innocence, which is pleaded whenever she's caught doing something politically foolish. What have you Here is her the doing? situation. Um, the
1: she was guilty by association throughout I the film. I didn't
6: interrupt you once.
1: Well, that's too bad. You have knocked somebody who is very precious to a great many people. As we said at the beginning of the
6: show, uh, and it's been repeated since, it was a rather foolish criticism that we did not put both sides. Absolutely. We set out to be be the first media, print or film, criticism of this woman ever to appear. We took for granted the fact that she has been the recipient of what I earlier described as a Niagara of favorable publicity. She probably is the least criticized woman on earth, least criticized human being on earth we thought we could take that for granted we put the case against we didn't pretend to do other than that
5: uh, what, what, what would have been lovely would to see would to have been a, a more interesting discussion about mother teresa as an icon of our making can
9: i bring P- i think there's will, a problem can, can i bring Faldemar here because there is i think a confusion here that part of the program is an attack on her as an individual part of the program is an attack on what the media has made of her, but you've attacked her, Valdemar, for what the media has made of her, not what she mm. did. All of the programme is an attempt to try and give Christopher Hitchens's view of Mother
7: Teresa a platform. That I will certainly accept. But we, we've done that with, with other icons on, on Without Walls, and we've done it with other writers on Without Walls. It is not fair to try and uh, accuse
9: the programme of not being a current affairs documentary. But can I ask about some of the techniques you used? I mean, take the reference to Robert Maxwell. She met this person once, it was arranged, She talked in about 40 minutes about her faith. The money went straight to to people in London. Nothing of that was in your film. Why not? The Robert Maxwell moment, I mean, you played a bit of it there, and we had that that,
7: that rather silly country and western tune underneath it. I mean, surely everybody could see that that was a
9: farcical moment. This is guilt by associations, and you yes. take every photograph you can get of Mother Teresa meeting yeah, with world yes. leaders. We do: some, And you dump on it.
6: I've di a lot of things in that, uh, in that to show, um, and in the way I wrote it, to get people's attention. Sure. I've got 25 minutes to set against about 20 years' worth of drenching. Sycophantic, uncritical. So published. you can yeah. be sensationalist. Sure I, get people, sure, I get people's attention any way I can. Obviously, I mock her a bit. Anyway, you That's can. why I said presumable virgin. To offend people, stir them up, that kind of thing. So people. you use Absolute any techniques, any anything nothing, to do anything. Nothing is. Nothing is beneath me on that. Christina, have a last word for this part of the programme.
1: I felt that this was not a journalistic investigation. It was a manipulation. It, to be. it was a manipulation. It was a parading of Mr. Hitchens' prejudices, and, and i was so that, so say. sorry to see that Channel Four was giving it any credit, any time, any airing, um, for what was merely one man's uh, obvious 15-year prejudice against a woman whose whose very mission in life, whose very motivation, he does not understand.
3: A couple things. First of all, that is the most British thing that's ever happened. <laughs> when, when Mary Loudon said, uh,
2: I found it quite polemical. I was like, yes.
3: Yes. That's, that was just such a British thing. Just that entire back and forth, that entire sequence. Uh, also, you know, wh- while I... Obviously, as we're talking about in this episode, I, I think a lot of people are aware of this. I think I think there are a lot of people who still think of Mother Teresa as this infinitely good saint uh, who did nothing but humanitarian. I mean, efforts. she is a literal saint now. Yeah, and I, but I think a lot of people. I think I think for the people who don't just have their blinders on and think that and kind of live in a bit of a black box of ignorance, whether willfully or not other than that it's it's a lot more known and accepted that there was more to her than that textbook story about her but and so obviously i i agree with the with the spirit of what's being said in this documentary but you know as we know you know Christopher Hitchens, maybe, you know, he's he's a little bit of a firebrand type personality. uh, And, you know, even by self-admittance, the the documentary that he made, Hell's Angel, is very specifically his opinion. There's not a lot of concrete evidence or facts that back a lot of the things he's saying up. It's kind of a personal essay about him kind of opining about his thoughts on Mother Teresa. It's been turned into a documentary and he ends up going on and writing an essay that's much more researched and evenly measured and he provides more information behind his thoughts but in this in this specific documentary it's it's very much a an, a an opinion piece with not a lot of stuff backing it up so even though i agree with the spirit of it he even admits in this in this discussion that it's just kind of him ranting about his thoughts on her so you know imagine i just i i, I watch this and i'm just like man i, w- I wish Stuff like this still happened. They took this one little like 20 minute television documentary packet and they're like debating it on like a major television channel that everybody watches in the United Kingdom for like 23 minutes. They're just debating this specific documentary. The, the debate is as long as a documentary. Can you imagine if we still did that? If like every stupid fucking thing that comes out, if like plandemic... There was like a channel that everybody watched where you got to have people come on and be like, this is bullshit. This isn't true. This is the real story behind this. And like debated these every stupid piece of information that goes out there where everybody watches it. No, I can't imagine that.
2: What a world that would be. To make things even more complex, she would regularly take money from dictators and thieves and then start up fake hospitals, which were honestly more like death traps that tortured people into converting into the Catholicism as a final act, which in many cases involved deathbed baptisms. Basically, she was killing people to try and save their eternal soul, which, before we go on, I just want to talk about that one, just for one second. If you believe in Catholicism, if you really think... That if somebody is not specifically Roman Catholic and they die and then they will go to hell and burn for all eternity. What Mother Teresa did is, I don't know if it's permissible, but it's understandable. If you are anything other than 1000% sure that the Roman Catholic version of Christianity is completely 100% certain, this is unforgivable.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I... I don't I don't think anybody would argue with that even. I mean, it was obviously controversial enough that they hit it and told nobody that this was going on. And also another thing about this is obviously forced unconsensual baptism is a huge invasion of your spiritual privacy and self and a really fucked up thing to do very intolerant of other religions other than one specific one but one of the other things that really stuck out to me as one of the most egregious things was we've talked about the fact that these clinics and centers that were created they were honeypots to lure people in with the allure of If you're sick and destitute and in poverty, like, we'll help you. But in reality, they just wanted to get you into a place so that they could convert you to Catholicism before you died. And it was almost like it didn't even behoove them to help you because they wanted you to die. Because if you quickly convert somebody before they die, you're like, oh, we got them. But if you convert them and then they survive and they leave and then they're just like, fuck that, unbaptize me or whatever the hell you do to get out of this. control all delete on that baptism, yo. Yeah, so you want them to die essentially which is you know that's that's just that's so fucked up in a way that is just immeasurable to me like i can't imagine anybody hearing that information and still thinking that this person is redeemable at all but another thing which is less fucked up in a in a moral way and more fucked up in just an existential way is a lot of the patients that would come into these centers were victims of leprosy and basically mother Teresa's philosophy about people stricken with these like maladies of deformity, leprosy or anything that involved physical deformations that would make you sort of like a pariah because you looked in a way that was considered grotesque or just not normal by societal standards. Her philosophy was that they were ways to test holy people's convictions and dedications because if you're a nun or a humanitarian or, or whatever, these people that are helping out the poor, if you can muster the strength to look at and touch and deal with somebody stricken with leprosy that's just horribly disfigured, that's like God testing you. And so what she's basically saying is these people with leprosy, they're not human beings. They are put here for the purpose of of somebody else. They are objects that test my faith. They're challenges and obstacles that I have to rise over. That is their purpose in life is to test my faith and be a challenge that I can overcome. So the other stuff is where she's talking about how pain is is a way to get close to Christ or whatever. That's one thing. I mean, that's just fucked up because you're just depriving somebody of pain medications to alleviate their pain but at least those people are still humanized like at least you're saying like you this is a test of your spirit the pain you're feeling is you getting close to god but in, but with these people it was making their pain about you and essentially dehumanizing them which is just existentially horrible in a in a way that i just can't even fathom yeah your your pain is so
2: great that it makes me closer to god
3: yeah so, these, yeah, these people were just literally fodder for my personal religious conquests.
2: As for another piece of evidence as to the vileness of Mother Teresa, after many natural disasters, Mother Teresa and the ministers of charity would collect and rescue the poorest of the poor and then bring them to missionaries of charity facilities and then just literally not help them. They would let them bleed out just to pray for them and give them Virgin Mary medallions. Basically, she was helping to kill people, sort of. It's not like they could just go to a hospital because they were so poor. However, giving someone a cot to bleed out in and then claiming sainthood is just a whole other level of fucked up. Her political associations were also pretty dark. Supposedly, she took over $30,000 in donations from Papa Doc Duvalier's dictatorship in Haiti, which was responsible for murdering over 30,000 Haitians and lasted from 1957 to 1986. She helped generate hundreds of millions of dollars in donations which just quite frankly never made it to the poor it was all siphoned back into the church which has never and will never be concretely proven
3: which is what that's just what i was referring to when i was talking about it being you know the amway of of uh of religion because not only is you know not only was she collecting souls for this really manipulative smokescreen but also literally just embezzling money charitable organizations do this all the time now you know and people call them out on it all the time and there's you know there's there's lists of like don't donate to these charities because only like 10 percent of it actually goes towards the cause and the other the rest of it goes to the salaries of the board members and all these things like charitable organizations are called out for this kind of thing all the time but this is literally no different they're just so Stealing money from donators and instead of putting it towards helping these people, the opposite of that, because they're just allowing them to live in these horrible, destitute conditions, poor cleanliness, terrible living conditions, just allowing them to die. No medical treatment whatsoever. No pain medication. Money is not going to fund anything to do with the facilities. It's just funneling it into this mega rich fucking uh, machine. That is the Roman Catholic Church. Look, man, having your own independent nation state, that shit ain't cheap. That's another thing is just talking about this. And you you referenced it earlier on the Verhoeven's Toupee episode. I wanted to make a point of talking about how, you know, we'd, we'd been criticized for espousing our political beliefs and how we shouldn't be so biased, which, you know, I said I didn't agree with that at all because we're not a. A news program we're just two guys making an entertainment show we we're just going to give our opinion like we have no responsibility to be like neutral about anything um and we've also gotten a little pushback of people saying that we've criticized religion uh specifically christianity uh and, and i i find that interesting because i don't th- i don't personally think we ever have i, I It's once again the thing where I'm like, I'm, it's weird, the weird perspectives where it's like, I, I feel like you're hearing a different thing that I'm hearing or that I'm saying. Like we're, we're, we're on different pages fundamentally because I don't think we've ever criticized religion. Very specifically, we've criticized religious organizations or religious establishments, which I find to be completely separate. What the church does, I don't think that, I don't think that reflects On the actual religion that they believe in at all i don't care about what anybody believes i don't care about what religion you subscribe to as long as it doesn't hurt anybody but it's just demonstrably and factually true that these huge religious machines have committed countless examples of direct harm to people and even more countless indirect examples of harm to people. This is one right here. I mean, obviously, we the disclaimer that it hasn't been necessarily proven because there's no fucking ledger of like, here's the money that came from these poor people that we've siphoned to the church like this. You know, they've this is there's no evidence of this, but they were like weird concentration camps for dying poor people to just like die in horrible conditions And then they took the money that was given directly to help them, didn't give it to them, and just used it to fucking fund a church being painted or whatever. It's
2: so depressing. It really, it's just, it's so depressing. and It it makes you question, um, you know, anytime there's a situation where someone's being heralded as being a good person, it just makes you always be like, "Mm, what's the ulterior motive here? What's... What's the real story? Because nobody, I don't want to say nobody's a good person because there are tons of good people out there, but it, it, there, it's stories like this that, you know, how there's the, you know, question authority mindset. Anytime someone is kind of deified in the public mind, I am, I'm instantly drawn to a, mm, I don't know, man. What's the, what's the rub here? What's this, what's the work that's happening? Like, wh- why are they trying to get this person? Over what what's happening? What how does this work?
3: I mean, you're you're literally curb stomping a bunch of puppies as we speak.
2: No, I'm just it's it's fascinating to me how these people are culturally remembered and how the echoes of their kind of corporate marketing campaigns reverberate throughout history. Um, and it's fascinating to me um, when that tide starts to shift because I feel like people like. Steve Jobs, Stan Lee, Walt Disney are probably the big three. They're culturally remembered one way when in reality, maybe the story's a little bit different. Mother Teresa was a cultural force in the 80s and 90s. And now I don't think she's even really, I mean, she's remembered as kind of like a saying. Like you kind of just say like, who are you, Mother Teresa? But, like, she's not somebody that has any sort of cultural primacy here in the West. Maybe it's different other places, but here, specifically in America, I don't feel like many people know anything about her other than she was, like, a nun? Maybe? And I'm curious to see if, over the next couple decades, this story starts shifting back the other way. Because, you know, there was a period in American history where Custer was thought of as a war hero, and he was heralded as, you know, the, the savior of the West... And then over decades and decades and decades of people saying uh, this dude was a fucking murderer and committed genocide and was just an awful, awful, awful xenophobic bigot. The story around Custer has shifted. And now that he doesn't occupy the same place culturally that he did 50 years ago or 100 years ago, I don't know that people necessarily know he, how terrible he was but they don't he's just not in the cultural conversation the same well, way i,
3: I think mean, a, i think a better example is christopher columbus
2: oh yeah that's a perfect example it's a perfect example
3: and i think i think that is kind of i mean from what i've seen that is kind of how it is in india there's like in india a lot of people hate mother teresa for that specific reason that, that it's like their christopher columbus where for years and years she was preached on as like she was this great person that helped everybody In the same way that it's like, oh, Christopher Columbus, he, you know, that just that that corny kid kids version of it that you read in school where it's like he was just this guy who accidentally discovered America, thought it was India. And then like he that's why we're here or whatever. And. Over time, that has shifted, and now it's basically to the point where like people are like, fuck Christopher Columbus. Let's change this holiday to have a different name, take down statues of him and all this stuff. And I think that's kind of how Mother Teresa is in India, because that was the place that got the most effect, direct effect from her. And it was a similar thing where it was like, oh, she's this great person that helped everybody. And then over time, it's like, no, wait, she like... Fucking kinda murdered a bunch of people that were that were Hindus and tricked them into becoming Catholics and And
2: refused refused to give gay people or people suffering from AIDS any sort of medical care and thought that was a good thing, thought she was helping them by denying them their God given right to health care. Like, what the fuck is this? In many ways, Mother Teresa was a holy warrior, just not in the way that many of us think of the term. She was waging a battle on the front lines of humanity, conscripting soldiers into the eternal army of the Lord. But at what cost? If you're religious, perhaps you can turn a blind eye to the carnage and inhumanity on display as a means of existential victory. The needs of the afterlife outweigh the needs of the real life. However, if you're not a religious person, you might be taken aback by the sheer lack of empathy and the veracity of cruelty on display. Or you just might say... This is the least of the crimes of the Catholic Church. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com, where you can find my book, Action Hospital 1, 2, and 3, three volumes of that bitch, fucking 300 pages each. Um, you can also find my book, Fuck Off Squad, written by me, drawn by Nicole Gu. And, uh, you can also find, uh, Star Trek Seven's Reckoning, number one, out in comic book stores everywhere right now. It's getting some good reviews. It was on CBR. It was on, uh, comicbook.com. It was on, it's on, on TrekMovie.com. It's gotten some good, good, good press. It's been pretty exciting. Andrew, where can people find you on the internet?
3: You can find me on a panel of British people debating the validity of this very podcast episode for three straight hours. Um, and uh, you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can pick up my book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. You can also email me or us, I guess. You can email both of us at Andrew at DeepCutsPod.com. And the reason for that is because Dave will not check his email so you pretty much, if you want to talk to either of us, you have to email me.
2: It's mostly because I forgot what that log, you you sent me the login information forever ago. And then I just completely forgot to look at it. And now it's been like a year. And at this point, I'm just riding with it, man. It's my character. My character says, I'm not checking that email. But if you want to email me, you can.
3: You just, have a, you just have an email from the from the president of Warner Brothers just being like, we want to turn it into, we want to turn Deep Cuts into a $300 million movie. If, the, if, that, if that's the case, President of Warner Brothers, you can email me at xdavebakerx
2: at gmail.com.
3: But uh, yeah, we, uh, we uh, you know, you're talking, about, you're talking about this new printing of Action Hospital, which I thought was kind of perfectly timed and kind of funny because uh, we got, we got a, a listener who had emailed us, me, but to us, uh, his name is Aaron, Aaron Keene and uh, he had had discovered the show and he basically, uh, he was interested in our comics because he's not like a huge comic book guy, but he is fascinated by indie comics. And so he wanted us to recommend each other's books for him to buy.
2: I would recommend that uh, people start with what I consider the kind of epitome of the D.A. Price oeuvre Deadbolt AI Private Eye. Uh, it's a science fiction comic, uh, in a world where there are robots filtered through the lens of, uh, Raymond Chandler or Philip K and Philip K. Dick. So it's kind of like a, uh, noir comic melded with futuristic science fiction. There's a mystery, guys wearing fedoras and those guys. Maybe they just happen to be robots. I don't know. You got to read the comic to find out. So that's what I would suggest that people start with if they're trying to buy a comic written by D. A. Price.
3: Spoken truly, like a person who has only actually read the back of the book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you think I haven't read it? I, I we've had multiple conversations. No, about
3: I know, this. I know. You read you read it before it was even published. You read it. You read an early version of it. Um to be able to get the quote your, your quote from you is on the book uh but that that was kind of the punchline of this was that i had recommended him i basically so i said i said uh i'm sure that dave would want me to recommend star trek voyager 7's reckoning but i'm not going to do that so instead i recommend uh action hospital volume one and then you can basically decide if you want to get the second and third volume after that i'm not just going to recommend all three of them because you know maybe you hate it maybe you don't like yeah maybe you don't cons- like it yeah maybe it's bad to why you? would you buy three of something that you hate yeah um and then if I was going to recommend two, I'd recommend Vicky the Wonderful, which is a basically like Mad Men style fictionalized drama about the seedy underbelly of the toy manufacturing industry. And then I was basically like, I'm not even going to have Dave email you because there's literally just one book that's, that's <laughs> that I'll just tell you, just get deadbolt because it's, it's, it's the only book I've published so far. Um, but yeah,
2: the first of many, the first of many.
3: Thanks for, thanks for emailing us, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Maybe check out, check out Deadbolt and maybe I'll be inspired to finish the second volume.
2: Well, I think Aaron's going to like it. I think, uh, I think Aaron's favorite part is going to be the quote on the back from old Davy Bakes saying something to the effect of this comic was so good. I wish that I could just read comics about artificial intelligent robot detectives every day or something like that i don't remember what that
3: is yeah that is kind of what it was i'm surprised you even remotely remember that i have some memory i have a a little that's one much that's one of the memories you have yeah for some reason (laughs) you grasped onto that that one thing
2: yeah well you know hey man i'm out here i'm trying i'm trying (laughs) trying to help you sell some funnies i
3: mean thank god somebody is I referenced this as a joke in an episode, but then a bunch of people actually wanted it, so we did
1: it.